Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to WTIC's Pet Talk. Today, Lori Fast takes your pet behavior questions. This is a show for you and your best friend. Call in now at 522-WTIC, 1-800-966-WTIC, or star WTIC from your cell phone if you have AT&T Wireless. And now, Pet Talk. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of Pet Talk. Um, people who are regular listeners of the show know that I alternate this time with Dr. Dennis, and so that would be the health veterinary edition. And when I'm on the air, I mainly focus on behavior issues. Uh, and we kind of alternate times, and sometimes it gets a little confusing, but uh, coming up in February and also in March, uh, we're going to do pretty much a straight rotation, meaning if you're listening to me now, next week you'll be listening to Dr. Dennis, and then it's me, and then it's her, which is a little easier to keep track of. But I do invite people to check on my website where I always list when I know when I'm going to be on the air. I'll put it on my WTIC page because it's a question people ask me, and sometimes a question I need to ask myself when it gets a little confusing. So just to be clear, just so people understand that, because I know some people get confused and some of you are not at all confused, but uh, just for clarity's sake, it is a call-in show. So if you have a behavior issue that you feel a little stumped about or you want some extra guidance or direction, uh, this is the time to call in, and I'd love to have you. And if you want to call in, it's 860 860- 522-WTIC, which translates to 860-522-9842. And I always invite people to contact me off the air because either it's not convenient, maybe you don't want to be on the air, whatever the case may be, but you can check out my website, which is lorifassdogtraining.com and get all my contact information for off the air And I'm happy to talk to you that way, too. So uh, I know very often people do take me up on that, and that's great. And, of course, you know, I I do dog training as a profession. So, you know, there are certain types of situations where if I was talking to you, I'd give you as much help and guidance as I can over the phone. But there are certain things that I really can't, you know, If I can answer a question easily, then there's no reason for me to schedule a lesson and charge money. And but I do need to pay my bills, and it is my profession. (laughs) So if you need me in person, then 
that's what we would do. And I'm, I'm pretty straightforward about that. Uh, when people sign up for private lessons, I don't have people sign up for any particular number of lessons. I know a lot of other trainers do that. That's their thing. You know, I can't say anything about if it's a good idea or a bad idea for them. But I used to have people sign up for a series of lessons. And I found over time that I didn't like to do it that way because sometimes people, frankly, don't want to do six lessons and they have four lessons and they're more than happy. Or in some cases, people have a single lesson and that's what they they got what they wanted and they're happy with that. So I don't know what people are going to want, nor do the people themselves often know what they're going to want until they actually start to do it. So sometimes people have certain goals and certain expectations and they're able to accomplish that much quicker than they thought. And sometimes it takes longer. And I can get some kind of an idea, but I'm often surprised myself at either how quickly or how tediously things progress. But I think somebody once said to me something about training in general, and I think it applies to a lot of things, which is that um, you really don't know until you start doing it. And I'm sure you've all had this experience where you set aside a project or something you were going to do, and you thought to yourself, oh, this should be easy. And then you start going, and then all these other things come into play that you never really thought were going to happen. Or the opposite, which you put something off because you think, oh boy, this is going to be a real problem. And then you finally bite the bullet and decide you're going to do it. And it really was pretty simple after all. So it kind of ends up being like that with training sometimes that, um, you know, sometimes people think that they've tried everything. I hear that a lot. And Usually when people think they've tried everything, they've tried a couple of things. (laughs) And there are so many things that you could do, and you have to find the right thing for your dog and your situation. Um, And that's what I'm here to help people through. So, you know, if you want to call in and talk about it, that's great. If you want to contact me off the air, that's good too. Now, I typically don't run my group classes in the middle of winter or I've actually discontinued them in the heat of the summer because, you know, I, I prefer to, if we can, be outside. I Any place where I'm teaching a group, I always have inside space because it might rain or something might happen. But I prefer to be outside. And honestly, the past few years, the summers have been so debilitatingly hot that it's just not good. I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of hot weather and most dogs aren't either. And I think that, you know, if you're outside and it's that hot, I, I even think it's dangerous, to be honest with you. And so, you know, I, when it's really, really hot in the hottest months of the year, um, I only do private lessons. And I've had to reschedule uh, some private lessons due to heat. Um, but if I'm working privately, I have a lot more flexibility. If I'm doing a group, you know, you've got 10 other people or more that I've got to get in touch with all of them. And, you know, we have to kind of reassess when we're going to do it. I'm teaching at community centers. They don't always have the space available. But if I'm working privately, you know, if you had a lesson on a Thursday, well, maybe we could reschedule for a Friday or Saturday. So that's why I teach all year long um, when I'm working with people privately. And I am just always watching what the weather's going to be because of the reason that I'm always outside all the time. And it's been so overcast and so cloudy and so yucky that it's just like, finally, the sun is out. What is going on? It feels good to have the sun, uh, not too hot, but it's, you know, it was like 
totally dreary. Now, the funny thing is I used to live in Syracuse, New York, and the weather in Syracuse, aside from the fact that it's in the snow belt, so it gets a lot of snow, but it's known to have overcast skies and precipitation in every season. As a matter of fact, I met somebody there that uh, was supposed to be avoiding sunlight because they had some kind of medical condition. I don't remember the details, but I do remember that they chose to live in Syracuse, New York to avoid sunlight. And in that case, that was a good choice. So yeah, I was happy to move out of Syracuse, and that was one of the reasons why. But I felt like, wow, Connecticut's turning into Syracuse. What the heck is going on? But I think we we have moved a little bit away from that, and we've got a bunch of sunny days all week until maybe even next week, which is great. So anyway, um, I, w- I had occasion recently to listen to somebody who I haven't spoken to in many, many years, and it was interesting because it kind of was like a flashback of uh, what was I thinking back in back in the day? Where how did I evolve to the point that I am here? Uh, I don't know if you've ever had that experience that you talk to somebody or you listen to somebody who you haven't spoken to in many many years, and it's kind of like a little time capsule, or it brings back memories of things that you don't normally think of. And it made me think about how did I even get involved in doing dog training in the first place? And this is a question that people often ask me, but. The reason that I got involved in dog training is because uh, while I was attending college, uh, I was attending Syracuse University, and um, I've always loved animals, and I started studying animal behavior. There was a course, an undergraduate course, which you would think would be a great course if you love animals and you're trying to get some sort of academic background behind you. And I have to tell you that that class was probably the most horrifying class I've ever taken in my life because the whole idea of what they were doing back then is, number one, animals don't have thoughts and feelings. They're just instinct and drive. And some of the ways that they were studying animal behavior looked like you know, something out of some grade B horror movie, deprivation, all sorts of weird kinds of things. And um, I remember my animal behavior professor, uh, his thesis, his doctoral thesis was um, do these little chickadee birds divide work on chick rearing based on gender or is it like an inherent gender bias that males do this amount of work, females do that amount of work? Or is it something that's worked out somehow between the two of them? <laughs> I, don't, I mean, honestly, the premise itself is like, okay, that's interesting. So I'm not sure exactly what he was getting at. I'm not sure he did either. Because in order to do this experiment, what he had to do is have little nests of birds with um, just a mother bird and another nest of birds with just the father bird and then various nests of birds with the mother and the father. And then he would study and see, you know, who was putting in the work and what was going on. And uh, in order to achieve this, getting the baby birds with just the mother or just the father, What he had to do is go around killing all these birds. So he had to kill the male or the female to get his little control thing. So already I'm thinking, what? Who who would do that? You know, I I can't imagine going around killing hundreds of birds 
to get for some kind of sketchy uh, theory that I'm not really sure why you want to do that, but you know that was his thing. And this um, lecture was a long lecture. I mean, all, every week it was a long lecture. I think it was like a two or three hour class. So we spent the entire class listening to his doctoral thesis. And uh, when he said the thing about killing the birds, I was like, what? But then it gets even better because after he showed, you know, two hours of charts and graphs and all sorts of species, bibble babble nonsense, his conclusion was, oh, I don't know. I, I really can't tell. So you basically killed hundreds and hundreds of birds to come to the conclusion that you really don't know, <laughs> okay? So if this is an example of what I'm going to learn in animal behavior in an academic environment, eh, I'm going to say not for me, you know? So um, I ended up um, with a very nutty dog of my own. I mean, honestly, in all the years I've done this, I would say that she's up there on the quite nutty list. She's very good natured, but quite nutty. And I started researching, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? And I started reading books on dog training. And one of the books um, was written by somebody whose name was Matthew Margolis. And Matthew Margolis was one of the first people to have written a book that was more pet related because most dog training books at the time were more show related to achieve some sort of obedience title. And Matthew Margolis studied with a guy named Captain Haggerty, and Captain Haggerty had a dog training school in Wallkill, New York. And I found that out because there was an article about Captain Haggerty in uh, New York Magazine. And so I decided I'm going to drop out of school and I'm going to go to Captain Haggerty's and I'm going to become a dog trainer, which I can tell you right now, my parents were not a big fan of that because they wanted me to get a degree and um, they all had degrees and I come from a family where they think that's important, but I guess I was going to break that mold. So, And then after that experience I had in it, with my animal behavior professor, I said, nope, there's no way that I'm going to continue on studying this kind of stuff, not to mention all of the stuff that was in my animal behavior textbook, which, you know, seriously, I mean, I, I don't even want to tell you, it, it really looked like, you know, something out of some crazy horror movie. And so... I said, nope, I'm not doing that, going to dog trainer school, and that's what I did, and that's how I ended up where I am today. So anyway, um, I think we need to go to a break, and we'll be right back. Hello, and welcome back to Pet Talk on WTIC. And finally, the sun is here. Year, which is good for drying up muddy lawns <laughs> and uh, bringing a little bit more cheer. And it's, it's, you know, I mean, I'm not a fan of hot weather at all, not even slightly. But I'm also not a fan of dreary, dark, muddy, slimy, wet weather either, which is kind of what the choice is right about now. So here comes the sun. I'm happy about that, and probably a lot of you are too. So anyway, I just wanted to once again uh, share with people that uh, this is Pet Talk with Lori Fass, and this is the behavior edition of the show, and it is Colin. I'm live today. What is today, the third? Yeah, I think it's, 
It's the 3rd, February 3rd, yeah. And so if you want to call in, uh, you can do it by calling 860-522-WTIC, which is 860-522-9842. Or you can contact me off the air by checking out my website, loriefass.com dogtraining.com and that has all my contact information for off the air but since it's so beautiful outside even though it's a little bit chilly but people are probably outside enjoying the weather so if you want to listen to this show and you're not by your radio uh, then you probably wouldn't hear me saying this anyway but some of you might share it with people is you can you can listen to this show in podcast form uh, by going to the WTIC website Um, Or I have a link to it on um, my website if you go to my WTIC page. And so, you know, I've had people that really pretty much aren't going to be stuck by the radio or by the radio and they listen to uh, the shows from the past and you can do that. So you don't have to be listening to me live or Dr. Dennis. You can listen to both of us. And a lot of the other shows on WTIC are also in podcast form. So if you didn't know that, now you do. (laughs) So anyway, um, I was before the break talking to people about um, how I happened to get involved in dog training in the first place. And of course, I've always loved animals. So that's, you know, kind of a no brainer there. But when I first started in training, I would say that the atmosphere of how you presented information was, I'm going to say maybe a little harsher. Corrections and choke collars and things like that were pretty much the norm. And um, as I explained my reaction to my animal behavior course, (laughs) and and I wasn't buying it, there was a lot of things that... uh, when I was introduced to training, I accepted on face value and a lot of things, not so much because I, you know, for better or for worse, I like to think for myself. So sometimes that gets me in trouble, but a lot of times, you know, I think we should all learn to think for ourselves a little bit better. Uh, and, and certainly some of the things that I learned, I, I think are very valuable. But what's funny is when I first started doing training, I would fall under criticism from other trainers, uh, accusing me of being too soft and no dog is ever going to listen to you if you don't toughen up and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, as I said, there was a lot of information back then that is still true today. And the political direction, if you want to even call it that, in training is that one ought not to use any corrections and everything should be a cookie. And you know what? That's not a really a great idea either. So it's kind of funny that I used to be accused of being all wimpy and, uh, you know, too soft. And now all of a sudden, because I think there are times when we do need to use corrections, I'm a terrible person. I'm just like the worst possible mean uh, animal abuser on the planet. And I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. But there are a number of different training tools that um, some not so popular back in the day, some more so that when I first started training, I just wouldn't use at all. And so when we come back after the break, I'm going to talk to you about some of those and some of them I do use today. So anyway, it's, it's interesting the way things have evolved, but we'll get into it when we come back after the break. I'm the smallest dog in town I never have to walk because they carry me around When I am up, up 
worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. I'm a cha-cha-cha-chihuahua. Everybody think I'm cute. Hello and welcome back to WTIC's Pet Talk. I like those little chihuahua guys. <laughs> Sometimes in the morning I'll be watching little videos of little puppy chihuahuas. Puppies are cute anyway, but... Chihuahua puppies are so small. I remember um, years ago, I was working with a puppy chihuahua, and this thing literally fit in the palm of my hand. And when I was trying to position it into a sit, I I was using my index fingers because it was so small. Um, But, you know, they're dogs. They think they're dogs. They don't don't think they're small. Uh, So I find them quite entertaining and cute. But anyway, um, so you're listening to Pet Talk on WTIC. This is a call-in show. My name is Lori Fass. I'm here today to talk about any behavior issues you might be struggling with. And if you wanted to call into the show, it's 860-522-WTIC, which is 860-522-9843. I think that's right. Anyway, so before the break, I was talking about sort of the evolution of um, my dog training and, you know, the history of how I got into it. And I had mentioned that there were tools that when I first started doing training, I wouldn't use at all. Um, And I didn't use them because I just didn't like the way they looked. I didn't like the idea of them, which I tell people now, it really, you know, you can't project what you think (laughs) is going to your idea of something, because one of the biggest problems people have in in making good decisions about training and just raising their pets in general is making all sorts of projections of what they think is good or not good. But, you know, here I am. I, I certainly did that myself. So I'm going to mention three things and I'm going to talk about them separately, assuming I have time to get into a little detail about all of them before the end of the hour. But it was I, I wouldn't use crates. Um, I would not use muzzles, and I would not use prong collars, okay? So crates have become such a mainstay in people's training that it's kind of funny to think that, well, I wouldn't use it at the time. But when I started training, they really weren't as popular as they are. Um, They were more used at, at dog shows or if people had hunting dogs or something like that. They were not generally used much for people who had pets. And if, again, you're projecting something 
seeing an animal in a cage like that, it doesn't, you know, without kind of looking beneath the surface and how is the animal actually reacting and how are we actually using it, it doesn't look good. So I, I think that's kind of funny that I did that because I think of how useful crates can be. And certainly people misuse them. I don't think there's anything that you can't misuse, but crates are a very good um, training tool and it's also something that can provide a lot of convenience. And it, you know, at some point or another, your dog is probably going to need to be in some sort of a crate. And this also is true for your pet cat. I think that a lot of people save their cat carriers for when they need to bring the cat to the vet. And uh, that's pretty much the only exposure their cat gets to the carrier, <laughs> at which point they're not probably going to be super thrilled about going in there. So, you know, even if you don't think you need it, it's probably a good idea to get your animal used to these things. So uh, it's a great aid for housebreaking. It's a great aid for uh, keeping your dog from getting into chewing things that could be potentially dangerous. Uh, it's a very good tool for traveling, not just for a cat, but uh, if you can fit a crate in your car, it's actually safer for them to be in there. Some dogs will settle down and be better behaved if they're traveling in a crate, uh, but it's something that you, know, you want your animal to be comfortable and not abuse it. I remember meeting a little beagle I think the beagle was probably about, I'm going to say, seven months old when I originally met this puppy. And they they had hired me because they were having trouble with housebreaking. And um, I wanted to see how the dog did in the crate. And they had this kind of a small crate, and they put the dog in the crate. And I was observing this, and the dog became very, very upset. And I asked them why they had such a small crate. And they told me that uh, when they were originally housebreaking, they're trying to housebreak their puppy, that they were told that if the crate was too big, that the dog couldn't could move away from where it had soiled and would not hold its pee and poo. And so when this puppy was very, very young, they were putting in this little tiny crate. Well, guess what? When it was very, very young, it couldn't hold its pee and poo, okay? So basically, by putting it in this little teeny tiny crate, um, they were forcing the dog to sit in its own excrement. And so needless to say, this dog had a very bad reaction to this. And a simple solution was just to get a bigger crate. And then immediately the dog settled down. And okay, you know, I'm not going to have to be trapped in some kind of yucky bodily excrement here. Um, but, you know, I'm saying that with in mind, there are sometimes in certain situations, you really do need to use a smaller crate. It's not a magical formula, but, you know, how long is your pet going to be in there? What is their personal sense of cleanliness? What are, are they escape artists? Uh, that's something that certainly changed over the years is the construction of the wire crates that they have for dogs. It used to be that the wire crates were very heavy and they had heavy metal trays. And I can't remember dogs just popping the seams off of these metal crates the way they do today. And obviously not all dogs do this, but it's very common. It's very common for dogs to trash the flimsy plastic tray that's in there and then bite the bars and then bend the seams and get out. So, you know, 
say they don't make crates the way they used to. That's the truth. But they do make other crates that are more sturdy. For example, the airline-style crates, which are look a little more like cat carriers. They're plastic, and they have a wire door in front. Those are generally much more sturdy than the wire crates. And then there are companies that make crates that are very, very sturdy. So, for example, there's a company called Impact, which makes dog crates that um, are, you know, pretty escape-proof, but they're also kind of pricey. But some dogs need those. And, you know, if you have a dog that is, 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 has been escaping their wire crate and you need to use it for training purposes, I'm just saying that's not your only option. And, of course, there are also crates for dogs and for cats that are made of cloth. And I generally don't recommend those because they're very hard to clean. Um, and they're also probably the easiest to escape out of. So unless if you have an animal that's very comfortable in there, it's short term, you're right there with them, um, that would be probably my least favorite choice. I mean, I have seen animals do okay in them, but you know, I just got through saying that there are dogs that are going to pop the wire on a wire crate. What do you think they're going to do to a fabric style crate or pen. They're just going to, it's going to be in smithereens in no time at all. So, you know, if you're picking something for your pet, whether it's your cat or your dog, you want to get something that's sturdy, escape proof, easily cleaned, the right size, comfortable for your pet and learn how to use it uh, appropriately. And, you know, looking back at, you know, when I first started doing training and some of the things that I, that I did that were much more cumbersome and tedious to achieve, I could have achieved much better if I was okay with using a crate as a tool. So that's something that, uh, you know, I, I think should be incorporated for the reasons that I said. And then we need to get into the idea of muzzles and prong collars. But I think we need to go to a break and we'll be right back. Hello and Welcome back to Pet Talk on WTIC. You're listening to the Behavior Edition with Lori Fass. Next week will be Dr. Dennis with the Veterinary Edition. And it is a call-in show. I'm here till 2, so you can call in now and... I can talk to you, or you can contact me off the air. But if you want to call in now, it's 860-522-WTIC. And before the break, I was talking about different training tools or different tools that uh, when I first started doing training, I just didn't like or didn't use. And some of my choice to not use these things was kind of silly. And I had been talking about using crates, which I just I just didn't like them, so I didn't use them. So I guess I'm an opinionated person, aren't I? So anyway, um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about is the use of muzzles, all right? So muzzles definitely are something that if you're judging based on how they look, they don't look very nice. So, I mean, I, I really, when I was first doing training, I, I don't even think it occurred to me to use a muzzle. But Recently, and you know, when I'm saying recently, we're talking more than a few years here, I've realized the value of muzzles. Um, one, I remember in particular, I was working with somebody that had a very large 
breed dog who had a problem with uh, being reactive and actually biting. And I remember she had been working publicly with this dog to get it under control, which, you know, you if you want to get a dog better, you have to kind of put them in the situation where we need them to be better in. And I don't remember if the dog actually grabbed another dog, or, but the, it wasn't good. Let's put it that way. And I remember thinking to myself, hey, if she had been working with a muzzle, we wouldn't have had this problem. So there's various different types of muzzles, and they have different pros and cons and different purposes. So if I'm using a muzzle for a dog who I think is maybe going to actually bite another dog or a person, um, I prefer to use a basket-style muzzle that has some substance to it. And uh, my favorite brand is called Jaffco, and uh, I have links on my website to various places where you can get muzzles. Uh, And so, you know, sometimes you need to put your dog in a position where they might do something that isn't great, but their level of training and your level of handling isn't quite good enough that it's a good idea to risk this. So then you have the choice of just not doing it at all or muzzle training your dog. And if you're muzzle training your dog, you, you know, get them used to it just the same as you would anything else. You can put a treat in there, put it on for a little bit of time, gradually increase the amount of time. You don't just slap it on them and put them in a situation that's uncomfortable. That would not be a good idea. But there's also um, other types of muzzles. So for example, uh, there are basket style mesh style muzzles that um, if a dog is maybe not going to uh, be particularly dangerous, it's still loose. The dog can breathe. The dog can drink because the basket muzzles are supposed to be designed where the dog isn't going to have any problems breathing or keeping cool or doing what it would normally do, more or less. Uh, But the mesh style muzzles are maybe a little bit more comfortable, but they're also less reliable. I don't think I would put a dog in that if I thought they might actually bite somebody. Uh, And if you're working with a dog that's actually going to bite somebody, you really need to be very, very careful and know what you're doing and not mess around with something like that. But these little, I remember somebody called me, they had two Cairn Terrier puppies and they were taking them outside and the puppies were eating acorns and trying to eat rocks and they were just turning into like naughty little puppies. And he was very concerned about this. And uh, I was going to go see him. And he called me back and said, oh, you know what? I've solved the problem. And what I did is I bought these mesh style muzzles. And my neighbors are chastising me for being mean to my puppies. Uh, But it works great. And so dogs that like to eat rocks and you know, things like that. Of course, you know, they might try to eat the muzzle too. I don't know. But uh, it's comfortable. It's airy. They can drink water out of it, but they can't stick rocks in their mouth. And that is often a, a problem that can be quite serious because I know more than a few animals that needed to have surgical intervention for the rocks and the other weird things that they were eating. So that's just another style of muzzle that would be how I would use it if I was going to use a muzzle like that. And then there's also cloth muzzles that uh, kind of close the dog's mouth. Often they have a Velcro closing. And those particular muzzles are something that you would use for something that you were doing very short term. So I'm going to cut your nails. You don't like it. Um, You know, maybe you need a shot or 
you know, something that isn't going to be on there for very long because I don't think it's great to have a dog's mouth closed completely like that for any length of time. Uh, also, those muzzles can be used as kind of a way to just settle a dog down who's acting a little bit too intense and it's just temporary. They feel a little bit inhibited in what they're doing. I had a dog in my class that was a Rottweiler shepherd mix and he was going to be euthanized from the pound because of his aggressive behavior. And this young woman decided she was going to take it on as a project. And I guess both of her parents had, uh, experience working with um, police dogs. And so she was very well supported and qualified to take this dog. And when he was in my group, he would sometimes start acting very inappropriately. And so we would put that kind of hold your mouth closed type muzzle on him for probably, oh, I'd say three minutes or less until he settled down. And then we'd take it off and then he'd be a little calmer and then we'd continue on. So uh, you know, there's, as I say, there's all different types of muzzles. They can be used in all different kinds of ways. And one kind of, I don't even know if you would consider it a muzzle, I guess you would, which is used generally with cats, but I think it's kind of interesting and sort of funny looking. And I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but it looks like a big plastic bubble. So imagine sort of like a round fish tank with a hinge that you can put over your cat's head and then you close it. So it lo now it looks like, you know, your cat is going to go deep sea diving or it's an astronaut or something like that. And if you're trying to do something like cut your cat's nails and they don't like it and they want to bite you when you're doing this, uh, that is something that, you know, you're not going to leave on your cat while they're running around, but can temporarily sort of keep them in check while you're trying to do something like that. And again, every animal is different, but a lot of people um, have used these quite successfully in restraining their cats um, and, you know, in situations where they need to do something with them that the cats might protest and actually start to bite them. So, you know, that's that's those are all good things. So, you know, the muzzles can be used as a training tool. They can be used as a preventative uh, from getting um you know, bitten or having your animal ingest things that are dangerous. Um, and, you know, finding the right muzzle, finding the right size, using it appropriate, just like anything else is extremely important. So the last tool that I can squeeze in here before we have to end the show that I did not want to use at all when I first started doing training uh, is a prong collar. Now, if you've ever seen these, they look pretty ominous. They're a series of links that come together uh, and they have little, they're not pointy, but they're kind of grabby. And so they look weird. They don't look good. And I, I, I had seen people use these quite inappropriately, which made me even like them less. But over the years, I realized, well, wait a minute here, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing people that are literally getting knocked down and dragged by their dogs. And, you know, the number of injuries that I've seen people get, uh, rotator cuff tears, broken arms. Uh, I mean, I knew somebody actually had a hairline fracture on their skull because their dog pulled them down so hard, they whacked their head. And, you know, if you have a dog who is physically insensitive and extremely strong, a prong collar can literally 
save you from injury. And just like any other tool, you need to know how to use it appropriately. So if you have the right sizing, if you know how to use it correctly, if you know when it's appropriate, when it's not, um, it can be a tremendous training tool. And just because it looks weird, <laughs> you don't necessarily want to discount it as something. And I have had people say, well, I have a prong collar and it's not working. And I meet them and it's not working because you're not using it right because it's improperly sized. It's, um, uh, you know, you don't understand how to use the technique appropriately. So it's not just, you know, there's some magical theory dust and you get the right thing. But when used correctly, it can be a fantastic tool. I remember I was working with someone who had a golden retriever and I couldn't get to her right away. I said, oh, could you just wait a minute um, and why don't you take your dog out and walk him around? And she goes, I can't. And I go, what do you mean you can't? And I said, she said, well, if I take him out, he's going to knock me down. And so I spent the next 20 minutes trying to convince her that we needed to use a prong collar. And I said, if we put it on and he doesn't like it or it doesn't work, we'll take it right off. But it took 20 minutes of me pretty much trying to beg her to just at least try it, you know, just try it. And if it doesn't work, you know, because maybe it won't work. I don't know. Um, but I finally did talk her into putting it on her dog and showed her how to use it. And she was walking her dog around and her dog was behaving beautifully. And so then <laughs> she was thrilled. So here was somebody who did not want to use it. And I understand that because for many years I didn't want to use it. Um, but when I explained to this particular woman and not just her, but many people how to use it, how to use it appropriately, um, and designed how we're going to set it up for her dog, it was pretty much a lifesaver because she went from having a dog that she was afraid to walk, she didn't even want to take the dog out of the car, to a dog that she could walk very comfortably around the block and do what she wanted with. So, you know, those are three things that, uh, you know, over the years I've uh, changed my opinion on. And, you know, as the years go by, I might change my opinion on other things that I don't use or learn about new things. But, you know, as I say, every situation is different and you really need to think about what things are available and not just assume that this is good or this is bad based on what it looks like or what you might be projecting into that particular situation. So that is what I try to do to help people, to try and figure out what is going to work best. And I've had a lot of years to think about that. So hopefully you'll think about some of those things too and uh, get the best relationship with yourself and your pet. So anyway, that's about it. Have a great weekend. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. 
and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.